Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. I'm your host, Stella Bales. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing experts in emerging areas of PR. We'll be taking those hot topics in public relations, dispelling any myths, breaking down the jargon, so you are completely clued up and ready to speak to your stakeholders by the time you reach the office. If you have any questions around the episode, please feel free to tweet me at Stella Bales. You might have noticed that this episode has come quite quickly since my interview with Jim that went live last week. A couple of reasons for that, mainly because of the strange times that we're in. My interview with Jim was slightly delayed because of that. And also because of what's going on right now, I really felt like we needed to have a look at the industry and I wanted to see how I could help. Of course, the strange times that I'm talking about is COVID-19. If you're listening to this further into the future, where we're at right now is that the UK and the US are a few weeks into lockdown. Like many other industries, the public relations industry has massively changed and we've had to adapt. Whether that's because budgets have been cut, teams have been furloughed, a lot has changed. But the biggest change is really the news agenda. I know in my lifetime I've never seen a news agenda like this and it is hard for everybody to try and navigate. So in this episode I am bringing in the news experts. I'm being joined by Daniel Johnson Kim. He is Head of Media Liaison at 72 Point in New York and also Rick Morn who's the Head of the Editorial Team at 72 Point. These guys are working day to day with all of the main news desks in the US and they have a UK team doing exactly the same in the UK as well. 72 Point are in a really unique position because they're associated to SWNS, which is one of the biggest news wires feeding all news stories, whether that's serious COVID-related news stories right through to fun survey-related stories. They're feeding those straight into the news desk in the UK and the US. So the guys at 72 Point really do know what is going down well, how angles have needed to change, and they are feeding that back to their clients. Now, 72 Point's clients are a mix between PR teams and PR agencies, and they are forming stories with them, and they are doing really well. In fact, the reason why this interview came about was because I saw some of their coverage, and I noticed that one of the campaigns that they did last week, they had over 200 pieces, so big blanket coverage. I'm going to be asking the guys some of the questions that will be helping you adapt your campaigns and sensitively but successfully sell into news desks right now. Here's Rick. Hi, I'm Rick. Thanks everyone for joining. Um, I'm head of editorial at 72.inc. Based out of New York and been here for about four or five years now. We specialize in earned editorial coverage, as you've mentioned. And the way we most um, frequently do that is through data-led news, uh, using insight to create really valuable talking points and garner media attention um, in a way that, that brings great talkative content in a timely fashion. Prior to that, I spent six years in the SWNS newsroom. So as you've mentioned, for those of you that aren't familiar with 72 Point or or, or SWNS, it stands for Southwest News Service. They're an independent press agency, um, so much like a Reuters, a a kind of PA in the UK or an AP. They're, you know, a large newswire. And so, like you say, we we kind of pivot on both sides of the the news world at the moment. Um, So I'm going to talk a little bit about um, what we're experiencing in this time from from a news providing content point of view, but also from uh, um, dealing with brands and securing coverage from a, from a branded side of things. 
Cool. Thank you. Daniel, what's your role at 72 Point? I am the head of distribution, head of media liaison at 72 Point. So me and my team, we handle all the outreach, both with our news stories um, that are on our wire and then also our research stories, as Rick mentioned. And before that, I was a journalist, editor, designer for more than 10 years. Uh, The last role I had in media, I was the director of content in charge of the audience team there. Um, So the homepage team, social media team, the designers, the interactive team, and then for some odd reason, the photo gallery team. And then before that, I was just an editor at the Daily News for a while. Before that, I was a reporter working at local newspapers and then um, some national publications. And so it's kind of like going into this role at 72 Point um, in SWNS. I kind of use my experience um, in media to help kind of make journalists' jobs easier. And I think it's, you know, we're really good at it. And my team is great at outreach and also making sure that everything is in a, in a position with these projects that it's just really easy for them to pick up and plug into what they're already doing. Thank you. As the guys explained, they're in a really interesting position of having that sort of both sides. So the information that the guys are going to be sharing with you today is literally hot off the press. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. <laughs> so we have um, a few examples that the guys are going to talk you through. And then really, I'm going to be asking questions. This is going to be actually a series of webinars and podcasts. So this is the first one um, in this time of like how we can pivot in PR. So I want to go to Rick, first of all. What has actually changed so far within the pandemic? It's been a few weeks what have you noticed so far on the news desks that has changed? Yeah, the impact is is, is, is substantial is the short answer. Um, the New York Times article uh, recently had it a, a, an estimate at 33,000 news media employees that have been either furloughed or laid off in America. So that's a, you know, a, a huge and significant number. We know that local journalism has obviously been really heavily impacted and the declining ad revenues is, is obviously a, a massive, massive part of that. Where advertisers are still advertising, um, there is a problem in the industry that, that most brands do not want to be positioned alongside COVID articles. So obviously, that's a huge part of the news output at the moment. And brands will obviously, you know, understandably place blockers alongside their content appearing, you know, in, in against words like crisis, pandemic, national urgency, things like that. So that means a lot of the content is, is, is struggling to be monetized um, where revenues already haven't been pulled which is a big problem for the industry. And that's leading to, yeah, reduced spending across the board, you know, tighter budgets in in an already uh, struggling sort of industry, as as we're well aware. The Times article gave a good description about trying to cover COVID-19 in this sort of climate is like, um, they used the phrase, drinking from a fire hose. It's just all consuming, you know, they are throwing resources at it. Those that haven't been furloughed or moved around, you know, have been um, transitioned to cover breaking news where they might not have before. Um, So, everyone is, is kind of scrambling a bit to do a great job. Obviously, different outlets are affected in, in different ways. So, you know, um, the way we've been affected might be slightly different to, to um, news outlets themselves. I think what, what we're covering in terms of our content now is, is primarily COVID. You know, everyone will say that that's, that's dominating the news agenda. And with our COVID material, that's, that mostly ranges from the really grim. We've got pictures out today of overloaded morgues, hospitals inundated. We've got photographers in in IC units shadowing in Manhattan all that sort of harrowing stuff and then you've got the kind of the other end of the scale where you've got the the, the kind of human face of it and the kind of lighter stories so you know you might have the um, incredible recoveries of, of people in their 
90s or over 100. You might have the heartwarming reunions. You might have things like the funny stuff, like the isolation home haircuts and the content that surrounds there. So there's a real plethora of, of material that's, that's being distributed by, by news agencies and that we're seeing engaged with the Newswire. Obviously, the charitable acts and things, we've seen a lot of those and, and they're getting great news coverage as well. Um, and rightly so. Another part, you know, is the, is the non-COVID material. And there is still a lot of that. We're doing a lot with animal stories, anything that can cheer people up. Seems to be a dogs on brooms type phase. There's a lot of those coming through. Science is still, you know, led stories. It might be data around Alzheimer's or, or dementia and things like that. Um, and anything kind of human interest that can bring a bit of relief. And then, of course, you know, Tiger King. So we're all, we're all devouring Netflix currently. <laughs> um, we had a great experience. Uh, exclusive uh, for the mail a couple of days ago. Carol Baskin's ex-boyfriend uh, has come out um, and, and, and given a, an interview with us and very bravely, in my opinion, um, you know, and so that that's made really well. So there's a lot still happening. The other thing to mention is, is that the journalist roles are changing. So in terms of what we've experienced and our journalists, um, certainly this side of the Atlantic, we're experiencing less story tips. So if you can imagine, we're all we're all now indoors. There's less organic news being captured. There's less people out with their phones getting videos. Yeah, they're still submitting some stuff and kind of incredible fun things that they're doing at home. But there is an absence of that kind of news where, where previously there was a lot. Things like courts and jury um, proceedings and, and, and things like that have slowed massively. Celebrity news is of course only coming from their direct channels there's not really the sightings and the spotting so there are certain streams that have dried up obviously you know everyone's going towards the covid effort but that's just an idea of, of how the, the journalist roles are changing a bit a bit more you know a bit fewer sources um, on the non-covid stuff for sure and with that budget tightening we're also seeing you know less ad hoc purchasing so we're in newswire we're quite fortunate and that we do have a lot of lot great relationships with the desks and long-term subscriptions um so hopefully that means we're in a place where we can ride it out a bit you know people might have paid us for our content for um you know the entire year for example which means they're able to dip in and and and, and, and use as much of those stories as they like we're seeing our, our download and usage rates you know um on our new stuff is higher than ever but obviously our ad hoc purchases where people might pay us for a set of photographs 500 bucks here or a thousand there or whatever that is obviously um and drying up so you know with that side of it it, it does mean that hopefully newswires are in a good position because they still are a reliable source for those news desks. Um, I know that you guys are working in the UK and the US. Is there a big difference between the news agenda and how strategies are having to change? I think there's there's core similarities. Obviously, you know, readership is at record levels still in the UK. Um, I've checked in with the news team and the, and the 72 point UK team regularly. Newspaper sales obviously have been hit really hard. And the same thing with the ad revenue, you know, um, I think I read that print revenue for, for ads was down 80%. So, you know, that's a huge figure that they're, they're having to deal with. On the PR stuff so you know I know certainly from the UK team the 72 point um, stuff and all the fantastic work they're doing there was requests from the news desks to have um, light content uh, and uplifting content and I think that harks back to what we were saying about revenue spends and, 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 and printing adverts in the paper those advertisers that are still there 
equally do not want to put their paper ads next to, you know, if you've got an advert for a sofa sale at the weekend, you do not want that next to body bags and morgue pictures and COVID and, and that sort of thing, fairly understandably. So I think that, um, you know, there's been a, a lot of contact from the desks on lighter, more relief type news to fill the second half of the paper. Obviously, COVID dominates. Obviously, depending on the day and the size of the paper, the first 15 or 20 pages would be nothing but COVID in various lenses. Is. But I do think that there's still room, you know, in the later stages of the paper to find relief um, and, and to include those non-COVID stories. So, yeah, they've been having great success with, with coverage on, on non-COVID stories just as, as much as the COVID stories. So, you know, things like home DIY and, and kind of list-based stories, they've said from a brand point of view, have been doing really well. They also had SWN ed- editors, um, SWNS editors come over to them and, and, and mention about um, advice pieces. So, you know, newspapers want to give their readers relief as well as information. They care about their readers. We've all been fatigued by the news agenda. You pick it up and, and you, you've probably reduced your news and take a little bit. They want they want to ensure that that doesn't happen. So they want to make sure they give people help uh, and help them navigate as well. So anything about that, access to experts, you know, all really relevant. With all of that in mind, how has strategies sort of like really needed to change with that? Has there been anything that needs to be added or taken away? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think, um, you know, we've seen a lot of on our stories and, and I'm not a PR, I will preface this, that we we, we deal mostly in stories and what's going to work, what's not. Uh, we've seen uh, stages with our clients and with their PR strategy. So obviously there was a taking uh, stock stage. Everyone wanted to see what was happening. We had the kind of letter from the CEO stage. And now I think, you know, once people have sorted their absolute duty to their staff, to their customers and getting that safety side first, I think now they're really mobilizing. We're starting to see a lot of content come through, a lot of stories going out. It's Earth Day today. We've been inundated with stories, which has been great. So I think that kind of organizational confidence is restoring. And I think you know what we can learn from that is that, it, for, for me, it really is about understanding what your storytelling is as a brand, using this time to really find out where your kind of relevance is. There's a, a phrase going around, which has been said a lot, but you know, relevance is the new reputation. And I think that's absolutely true. It's that insight and and that time to really understand your company and how it's changed in this very unique time. And that comes through many ways. It's not just, you know, necessarily data and surveys, of course, but it's also through, you know, your internal insight, learning your your customers' habits, looking at buying habits and things like that. What social Mm. indicators are there so that you can tie into bigger trends? I think it's, it's really important to sort of dig deep. Mining the stories is something that I always want to say to more PR people that we know that there's golden stories out there. Um, there are It's such a traumatic time, but there's a lot of really, really fantastic human stories going on. And it, it happens everywhere. It might be a a delivery driver that's um, going above and beyond. It might be someone who's never missed a shift in 27 years and the pandemic's not going to stop. You know, a- anything like that where you might have good human stories that you could, you can mine. I think now's the time to do that. Something you just said about that is really trying to be relevant to, to mm. people right now. Obviously, mm. with public relations, that's something that we always try and strive to do, but it is a new level of insight that's needed now, isn't it? Because things have changed. Some people might not know this, but as well as Coverage Book, we have another tool, an insight tool called Answer the Public. And we've seen record numbers of people using that tool to try and understand what people are searching for and how they're feeling right now. And it, it is that sort of new level of 
okay, we might have done some insight in an insight phase at, in the, at the beginning of the year, but now we just need to redo it. We need to redo research to, to understand, have that deeper level yeah. of understanding. Absolutely. Yeah. It's shifting so rapidly. Yeah. It's changing every, every week almost. So it is really important to kind of ensure that you're engaged with your consumer base, but also, yeah, on a national level, if you're aiming for national coverage, you've got to have your finger on the pulse of what, what, what people are doing um, beyond maybe just your private agenda of, of what the brand's goals are. So yeah, it's that ability to pivot in terms of glimpses into behavior and things. I think that's really important, but what we're doing with stories and, 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 and this is specifically to 72 point stories, but I think it's it is applicable. Some of it, you know, it, 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 it doesn't need explaining, but we really are focusing on stories, not press releases. I think that it's really that time to uh, make sure that you're giving great content and, and it sounds cheesy, but, you know, earned editorial has to be earned. I think that's a key point. Now is not the time to try and hard sell or, or come off as self-serving and, and insensitive. And it, it sounds obvious, don't be, you know, don't be insensitive, but actually it, it does require a lot of navigation because there's different dynamics and stories um, you know, Daniel will go into that in a little bit more, but there's, so it's not necessarily as easy as it sounds, but, you know, authenticity, I think is the thing head to toe in, in the copy. So not just doing a good first five pars, but making sure that the quote support and everything else is, is, is strong. And I think that empathy, of course, is, is, is absolutely crucial. That goes without saying, um, but can you really highlight a problem for audiences yes, that again, go beyond just the company, but can it, can you tap into a wider social trend, make a journalist feel this is important they want to write about it or provide reassurance as we saw with the UK stuff it's really important right now and benevolence you know I'm not saying give away everything or, or kind of you know throw your product out for free but what can you do to help so you know we've, we've seen in the UK the desks are getting asked for helpful advice or access to experts or, or anything for readers there so I think anything you can give or things you can team up with or any sort of innovations there will really play well and then sort of evergreen you know I think that we don't know what's happening it is changing constantly don't put all your eggs in one basket and, and assume that we're going to be in the same scenario in two weeks time or if you're working on a more long-form campaign you know you've got to make sure there's stories that can be relevant and strong at any time of the year obviously still having a, a kind of that relevance for, for right now so it is sometimes a difficult balance but that's what we kind of aim for what kind of percentage non-COVID news are news desks seeking? I mean, can you put a percentage on it right now? Is it, or have you found it's just a mix? I would say the majority of what they're covering is going to be COVID related, even in all um, beats. So like the lifestyle reporters are maybe doing it, uh, looking at uh, food or looking at families or looking at, uh, you have the entertainment reporters with so many celebrities who have been positive or so many celebrities that are are being really like open on Instagram and so many live shows and they're covering that aspect of it. And then you have um, the sports people who are covering, you know, the fact that there aren't any sports, but there are also athletes who've been positive. There are athletes who whose whose family members who have died. There are athletes, there are managers in the UK who've been positive, right? And and all over the place. So there is a story there too. As far as the uh, it not being COVID related, I think it really depends on the publication. If it's somewhere that is a real uh, large national or international publication, they're probably doing mostly COVID. And what they are doing is uplifting, like Rick said, uh, or something that's kind of not going to be perceived incorrectly. But then at the same time, you get to think, 
they're still all covering the things that usually would be happening this time of year. It's Earth Day. I'm sure some newspapers have, and there's tons of stories about climate change, mostly maybe with a COVID angle. Um, how is everyone staying home and doing less traveling and doing less driving and how does affect um, the efforts toward that? Um, but as far as putting a percentage to it, I just, I think it would be tough, but I would say, you know, less than 10 percent, I think it's a safe guess. I think the majority of it is either um, the hard news, the business side of it, or the other lifestyle kind of lighter things. Um, but I'm sure that there are people who are writing things um, that aren't related because, you know, in my experience covering big, what they call them, like catastrophic type events, whether it's like a mass shooting, a hurricane, a tornado, a wildfire, right? Like if you remember Australia, remember when everyone was thought that was the most important story in December and January? Has anybody talked about the Australian wildfire since then? Probably not. But it's, uh, you know, you cover it until you reach a point wherever you've kind of, you're just doing the same stories every day. So they're always looking for something different. Um, and I think as things start to kind of go down or as things start to get better, you're going to see more and more non-COVID related stories coming up. But uh, always as well, if it's if it's still happening, it's still there, that's probably going to be their main priority. And you should think about that and consider that in any outreach you do. We're going to expand on that point actually just a bit later with some examples. So it should be great. Rick, did you have anything more that you've seen sort of like in, from the, we'll talk about relevance and like needing to adapt a strategy and how you actually go about that with, with research. What kind of level do you think people need to do that? Because obviously like when you add research to a PR campaign, that's normally done like quite near the beginning of the planning stage. And it seems like quite a big part of the budget and it needs extra planning. But this seems like it could be, it needs quite quick turnarounds. So is that even possible? And is that what you guys are doing? I think, yeah, it is doable very quickly. Um, You know, we do do fairly quick turnarounds where needed. We've revisited a a lot of our stories and assessed them to make sure, you know, we feel they're timely. Where we feel they could add, uh, you know, benefit from supplementary data, we have run, added material to make sure we've got stuff to work with and that we've got a very interesting comparison to make in terms of what was happening at the current state and previously uh, whether the, it was done three or four weeks ago or whatever the research was done there is there is the ability to do things quicker but also I think it is just about making sure that you do have that relevance and that kind of strong talking point so yeah you've you've raised the the, the Tubi story here that we did very recently uh, this one went out last week it's, it's just a good example of how data having data-led headlines in particular make for an engaging uh, article and and how it kind of can sow a quite um open topic into a sort of finite focal point that that will allow people to embrace and engage with so it's quite a simple hypothesis you know people are streaming more in lockdown that seems fairly obvious but the reason it works well is because we're giving that fine point of comparison we're putting data towards it eight hours a day you know that is interactive some people will think that's way too much some people will be like you know okay not too bad we've all had bad days with netflix telling us that you know are you still watching five times so you know eight hours a day might not be too bad so it just gets people engaging with the research and i think it gives that nice snapshot of a a behavioral trend daniel will, will enlarge on this a bit more but you know there's also within that story a load of different strands that mean it can be qualified for different sectors so not everything needs to be seen as, as, as directly covid news but within that story we're, we're sort of hitting all branches 
And this one did make exceptionally well. You know, you can see there yeah. you've got your New York Post, LA Times, Fox, People.com, um, and, and, and beyond. I think it made over 200 pieces. Fantastically yeah. displayed in, in coverage book, of course. <laughs> so, yeah. It, and I think really in terms of that, just reiterating, it's about tapping into that bigger trend. It's about giving brands a kind of good voice and a platform um, in a, in a non-self-serving manner. You know, Tubi could have have released their own figures, I'm sure, on, on, on streaming being through the roof. I'm sure they have the figures to show that. But by conducting a kind of independent story, it, it allows them to be a bit more of a commentator, to give authority and lend quotes to a really interesting talking point and then bring in their unique insight and what they're experiencing. And we find that journalism and journalists and news are kind of a bit more receptive to that. And it seemed to take well. So, yeah, we, we're very happy with it. Um, and I think, you know, the final thing about insight and, and just really, you know, having relevant research at this time is that we're all going through this, you know, really huge, weird, scary thing. Uh, and it's a very isolating time. But we want those that glimpse of what's happening next door, what people we want that feedback. And so the snapshots and use of data, I think, more than ever, uh, whether it's a bit more frivolous like this on streaming or on the on the kind of more, more you know, heavyweight stuff is so important and really lends lends to journalists picking up pen a bit so yeah this podcast is brought to you by coverage book the reporting tool that's made by pr people for pr people head to coveragebook.com for your free trial when i was an editor and i used to do the editorial meetings we would do about four or five a day first one's at about 9 30 in the morning then you have one um, you know, right before lunch at kind of 11, 12 to, to, to find out what was happening for the stories before. Then we do one at three. Then we do uh, one after the first deadline at like 9.30. And hopefully I wasn't still at work uh, at 9.30 p.m., but sometimes it did happen. But the reason why data-led stories are so great um, are because they're talkers. Like whenever we would have uh, those editorial meetings for when the features editor would talk, they would always have a couple of polls and it would instantly get the editors talking. Oh, that number's too high. Oh, that sounds about right. Or, oh, we, you know, the other thing that once you have the data, um, newsrooms have the ability to find the humans to kind of verify or add that human element to it. Um, You know, you have the expert quotes that came from Tubi, but I can actually, as a reporter, go and ask people, so are you streaming like crazy? And you get some good quotes to really add filler there. But when you have the data, you have a nice kind of base for them to be inspired um, and also to really kind of talk about it. And it does great um, broadcast coverage too, for that reason, because a lot of anchors like to like say, there's this new study and then they talk about it on air and hopefully if they do their jobs they credit who uh, who did the study but yeah this one did exceptionally well and just just wanted to bring that up to add on to what rick was saying i think this was the coverage that i noticed when i got in touch with you guys it's like hmm this looks like you you're not struggling to get coverage at the moment daniel i want to go back to you just quickly mentioned about having the edit meetings what else um i know that you you're an ex-journalist, you uh, worked at News Corp and, and, and Daily News, but I wanted to know from your experience right now with working closely with journalists, and I know that you're still in touch with a lot of journalists and editors at those publications, what has changed for them? Like, are they working from home? What, what else has changed um, that we need to be aware of? Unless they're like a runner is what they call it, like somebody who goes um, to events, who's maybe going to the hospitals or to live press conferences, um, yeah, I mean, what has really changed? Uh, most of the things, same the same things that have changed for you, right now. Journalists, editors, and writers—they're working from home. They're doing virtual meetings. They're having those editorial meetings. 
uh, software like this, like Zoom, you know, and actually probably having more people at those meetings than they used to be in a room that only had a limited amount of chairs. You know, they're having these meetings in the morning. They still have to plan out the stories they're doing, whether it's the, the main COVID story or how the business desk is covering it or how the lifestyle desk is covering it or how the entertainment desk is covering it, right? And, you know, and they're meeting every day and they're talking about the stories. And so they're certainly looking at pitches. One thing I think um, to be aware of is that they're probably publishing less on the weekends and it's always good to have, you know, copy that's ready to really, that's an AP style or in their style that really is an inverted pyramid or something they could really easily plug in and plug out. I have some editors at some publications, they use us for that. On the weekends where they have less people publishing, um, they will put up a survey story that they have scheduled, you know, because a lot of places have the technology now. Um, also, I think that, you know, we do a lot of what we call error and story outreach when somebody doesn't credit, um, you know, where the research came from. And we've seen a lot of people responding to those emails and that outreach because they're at home and they're logged on working from home. And so they're easy to make quick fixes, whereas before they might be moving on to another thing. That's um, interesting. So you found that they're actually in the last couple of weeks being more responsive because they're at home. Yeah. Also, you know, we, we really kind of pull out all the fluff and, and the, the pretend to be your friend. We really get to the point. And that's based on my experience with being pitched as an editor. Uh, I appreciated the PRs that really you know, were a resource and not a nuisance, not people that were trying to butter me up, but were simply saying, hey, I know you do this. I got this great thing. You should take a look at it. And just being really straightforward and to the point. Um, and I think that a lot of journalists, especially now that they're so busy and there's less of them and some of them are working, you know, the staffs are smaller. They appreciate when somebody really just gets out of the way and, and lets them know, is this useful for you? If not, you know, let me just let me just go away. <laughs> are you asking and, and I know that every journalist and editor is going to be different. This is a personal preference, but. When you're getting in touch with people, are you asking them how they are, like on a personal level during these weird times? Or are you literally just going over the story? Because, you know, we're all getting emails and messages from different people at the moment. And some people are saying, I hope you and your family are okay. I don't know. Are we past that stage now? It's just, it's tricky, isn't it? Maybe it's like when it's a new year, how long do you wait when you st can still say Happy New Year, right? If it's like January 30th and I haven't emailed this person yet. Can I say happy new year? I think it's kind of that same thing. Like it depends on the relationship. If you know the person, if it's cold and you want to, and you're, you honestly believe and want to know and hope that they're doing safe and well, which I'm sure a lot of us, they really do feel that way. Sure. Like be genuine, be real, but then at the same time, don't overdo it. Don't act like you care when maybe, you know, everyone has an incentive and everyone has a job to do. And, you know, I think the sooner you get to, you know, how you can help, the better. The other thing that's great um, is that, yeah, uh, when I was a journalist and the journalists I worked with, I never shared anything on social media that I wasn't proud of or that I didn't want other people to see because my name is next to it, right? And so therefore, and journalists are pretty addicted to Twitter. They, a lot of them do their pre-reporting on Twitter. You see the threads of them kind of going through their stories. It's how they share their stuff, but then also they get very personal. Um, and so the people that you're reaching out to, you know, it's not the end of the world um, to follow them on social, to see what they're sharing, to get an idea of the stories that they really care about and that they're working on. And then if they see one that shared something that you helped them with, well, you know, you have every right to, to reach out and say, hey, I saw this. This is great. Thank you so much. And, you know, hope, hope I can be of help in the future or something. But uh, yeah, I think that it really depends. I think you should be careful about what language you say, uh, because we have to have some people go back 
And it's like, you know, I hope you're safe and well. It's like, well, you know, who cares about me? What about all these? You know, there are other journalists who are, are kind of sour and, and, you know, they're feeling cooped up and, and stressed. And I, you know, my, my advice to my team is to always, you know, apologize and try to help. I think, which is really great advice, if, especially if you send something and then someone says like, oh, you know, I really think this might be kind of insensitive, uh, respond um, and say, yeah, you're right. Thank you so much. I'm sorry. You know, is there any way that you think, you know, we could maybe have it not as insensitive or you're right. Um, maybe this, this isn't something for you. And just being honest about it and not trying to force it and kind of what I call newsjack, uh, which is hijack a news cycle. I think people mm. appreciate that. The other thing we spoke of uh, before, what I which wanted to talk about, was that uh, when somebody responds to you, um, you should respond to them, especially if there's an ask as soon as you can. They're on deadline, and the sooner you get back to them, and the more you are helpful or you help clarify something that they they had a question about. I really think that they're going to appreciate that more. So I certainly did. And when I was in newsroom, you'd always hear reporters saying, "I'm just waiting on this PR to get." get me this stuff back or this public communications person for a politician or police officer or whatever, what have it. Um, and the ones that were um, really receptive and, and got back immediately and, and helped solve everything as quickly as possible so they could get out of the way and, and that writer could meet their deadline. Um, I think those are the ones that build the best relationships and they're more likely. Uh, certainly whenever someone helped me, um, I remembered them the next time they emailed me. So I, I would take a look at what they had to say because they, they were helpful for me. So. Yeah, especially during this time when um, they've still got the same deadlines. They're still meeting with their editors at the same time, but they're working from home. It's like extra pressure. So if you can be that resource, it's probably going to really solidify that that relationship in the future isn't it you talked about being a great resource and also if you get that kind of you said you're working with your team at the moment about and sort of saying you know if you get that feedback from from a journalist to say that was a little insensitive just be like okay listen let's adapt yeah and when we had the conversations right there's a slide up at the moment which is something you said to me um the other day about you know asking stop and asking yourself does this is this going to hurt or is it going to help and that's not mm-hmm. just like with how you approach jur- the journalists and the communication, but also just with the angle, right? So th- th- we mm-hmm. really need to be thinking about whether it's not only COVID related, but how is it related? And what should people be thinking about there? Yeah, uh, just to kind of reiterate a little bit what Rick said, um, be smart and have empathy, right? So just think about it. Think about all the language. You know, if, if you have something that you think may cause friction or be insensitive and be received the wrong way, it probably will be by one person or another. Um, and so, you know, it's better to be super safe than sorry. It's, it's, you know, there are things to avoid when it comes to story angles and it's just kind of things that might be a bit obvious, but maybe not. And it's travel, right? Vacations, any events like concerts or things that people would have gone to or cons, right? Like for, for the comic book nerds, even things like parties or how many people would you have over? Those are all things. If you can't have a party, unless it has a specific, like maybe a, a video conference party angle or something, you probably don't want to, you don't want to have that angle. Right. Um, and then also even things you think might be relevant, like food or grocery shopping, you have to be very careful about the language you use. Cause there are some people who don't have food. If you look at the stories about, you know, the food banks uh, and the lines that they have all across the country, because there are people who are either unemployed and they can't. And if you're writing a story about how everybody is just like eating their favorite snacks, 
facts and you know don't recognize that you come off as insensitive. And I would just say that if you ever do, uh, as you said, get a, a reply from a juror saying, yeah, I don't think you should be, you should let them know that they helped you. You're right. I'll certainly think about this going forward. And I really appreciate you letting me know that I'm sorry. And I appreciate you letting me know. Like, so it's okay to be wrong. Uh, I think is one of the things that uh, when it comes to story angles, and if you get it wrong, you know how to do it. And the other thing is, um, you know, iron sharpens iron. And this is actually, it will show you that when you do do data lab research, like we do a lot at 72 point, you wanted to have a lot of depth. Um, you wanted to have a lot of different angles. The main angle that got a lot of pickup, as you saw on the previous slide, was about the number of hours people were streaming. But there were also there was also data in there about our parents letting their kids watch shows that they knew before or watch more things, right? And th and then it had and then also you see Pop Crush picked it up twice, um, and it had nothing to do with Justin Bieber or Black China. But in there, they were able to use the data that kind of uh, as, as a section of those two pieces to kind of be like, oh, yeah, and this is also happening, right? And then you have Motley Fool, which is a personal finance site that is writing about how Netflix stock is just exploding right now. Um, and they needed some data about how people are streaming. And, you know, even though it's not in the headline, it's not the main thing. Uh, they do use the data to help buttress and supplement. And I think that's kind of the coverage and the angles that you could see. Uh, if it isn't going to be the lead item uh, or, or the main part of the story, it's good to have things that can really just plug in and help out on things that journalists are already covering. And by kind of doing your research and knowing where you're, where you're going to be sending these things to and the things that these people are covering regularly, you're able to kind of prepare and have things ready for them so you can be a real resource. Yeah. And just to jump in there as well, because, um, you know, a good thing about that story and, and, and for Tubi as well, is the ownership of that space as a brand. That story will be written about uh, in, in kind of a year's time and in, in two years time I can guarantee you we'll still be seeing coverage hits for that because people will be uh, writing about you know what's happened and kind of talking about streaming and, and, and the changes in the cycles and like Daniel said and the, and the Motley Fool where they just wanted to talk about Netflix or, or another uh, type of streaming habit that story they the first thing they do is search for prevalent you know news items on, on the topic and so that will still continue to generate um, good, good exposure for two so that's another benefit of those stories. That's a really good point. At the moment, budgets have been cut. They are tight at the moment, but PR is continuing. Maybe, you know, if we, if we do need to look at finding budget for extra research, extra data, maybe there's, there's other budget pots where we can sort of like dig into, maybe, who knows. With the um, ad rev spend and the brands tightening on their advertising directly, um, you know, hopefully they'll move that budget to, to, towards earned editorial spend. I think that's where strategies might go, but, you know, that's hopeful, obviously. But. Yeah. Does everything, and we have sort of covered it a little bit with Rick in the strategy, but just mm -hmm. if we are selling in a story, should it always have a corona? I think you said like about 90% of the stories that you've seen out there are corona related. Yeah. Is it like a, a rule or not? I would say absolutely not. I mean, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't hurt to try and like see if it fits, but like, um, you know, you really shouldn't force it if it doesn't make sense. Because I think that, you know, it actually looks a lot worse if you're trying to pitch something with a, a COVID or Corona angle that doesn't really have any connection. In fact, like if you just take a look at Twitter, people are tweeting, journalists are tweeting out examples of ridiculous pitches uh, that they're getting. It's like, they're like, hey, it's Corona. Uh, so like, I don't know, like just random stuff. If it isn't relevant and is in a way that makes sense and makes you look like you're trying to help 
you're not trying to take advantage of the situation, I would say don't force it. You know, not everything has to be. And then we had we had some stories um, that aren't Corona related um, that may be more uplifting or things that uh, you know that wouldn't be received in a bad way. That certainly did well as well. So here's a great example. This was a travel company we worked with, and this story did incredibly well. They were in Anaheim. They were going to have uh, a convention, and it got canceled and postponed. But they still had this data about superheroes, um, and it was very you know light, entertainmenty, featurey, not related to COVID, and it did quite well because I think there were a lot of places that made it related to COVID by writing a lead like the world could use a superhero right now and 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 America's favorite superhero is still Superman or what have it, right? And this one um, also is was a, is a great example of what I spoke of earlier when you get some feedback. Initially, um, when we started setting up this out, we had some stats about people looking forward to going to conventions, people looking forward to seeing that, you know, going to comic book stores and stuff like that. And so we kind of pivoted and, and reworked it. And then we uh, took out those things that could be uh, seen as insensitive. And then we did our outreach uh, uh, with this as the lead angle, and it wasn't COVID related. And this kind of went out right before the lockdown happened, and then it continued to do well after. You know, it just kind of shows that not everything has to be uh, about this, but if it isn't about this, it has to be something that could still really connect and has an evergreen general interest uh, that creates uh, conversations and, and, and between the journalists, editors, and also their audience being like, oh, I, I like Batman better, or I like Thor better, or whatever it may be. Uh, yeah, so I think this is a great example of how it doesn't have to be and how you can do something that isn't or that maybe had something that could have been seen as insensitive and you can still change it and make it work and still get coverage for a brand or a company that, uh, that you're doing PR for. Is there anything else in terms of follow-up or like are journalists inundated at the moment? Like, are they busier mm -hmm. right now? Um, how can yeah. you cut through the noise? Um, whether it's subject headers or whatever, I don't know. Yeah, um, I you know we always try to write our subjects as if it's a how a headline would write. Me being an experienced headline writer and having former journalists on my team that have written headlines, um, you know, and understand SEO and things like curiosity gap is what they call it. It's a euphemism for uh, clickbait, right? What we try to do in our outreach is really have the data and a good headline in there that so they can you know so then the editor because these people are reading and writing headlines all day and so subject. Um, that is kind of informal if they see something that looks serious and, and reads like a good headline uh, that you would see. And if they like the headline, we've had times whenever we send outreach and someone steals our headline from the email and that's fine. That it was a good headline, right? Um, so I think that uh, when it comes to communications and how your communication should change, I think the first thing you should do is do your homework. Look at when you when you put it, putting together your outreach list, look at what these people have been sharing on social. Look at what these people have been writing about. You might have someone that used to cover parenting that is now only covering uh, like families and COVID, and you should know that before you do any outreach and before you send anything. And the other thing is, like I said, you just really need to be straightforward and honest. Be a human. Sound like a human. It's okay to wish someone well if you actually mean it. Um, you know, and it's a hard time for a lot of people, but at the same time, people are still working. Um, and so you need to be sending those emails and doing the follow-ups. Uh, I would say if somebody read your email and they didn't respond, 
don't follow up more than once. Don't bother them. They are busy. They are getting a lot of emails. And, and then really, really figure out who you have in your outreach that you have a good relationship with that you can kind of kind of cut through the noise and, and be seen first. Um, I think that another thing that's great about our projects is, is the understanding their style. We write, um, having been in a news company, we have already copy that's kind of in a style that they're already writing AP style and inverted pyramid and understanding that and making it easier for them. If they're doing so many stories a day uh, and they're able to rewrite copy that's uh, more in their style, they're certainly probably going to use that more than something that is very pluggy, very brandy. Uh, and when it comes to quotes, you want the quote to sound like something a human said. Uh, it doesn't need to be something that has words that nobody would ever say out loud. Uh, it needs to sound like something somebody actually said it because they're going to have names said. You know, back in the day, we used to be prohibited from using email quotes because of that reason, because they were so edited and tailored. Now, a lot of newsrooms, um, even before this, they kind of they don't care about that. We would don't, before we don't have to get quotes on the phone or we get quotes in person. Uh, but now email quotes uh, are kind of the standard and it makes sense because a lot of you work from home. Uh, but if you have quotes that really add value to the story, they're more likely uh, and always, and when it comes to that too, you always got to be ready if they want, if they want more, you know, when I was a journalist, we, we took a class where every day we would get an old press release and we would have to annotate it like a poem. Uh, where you would basically try to be like, you know, it was like the tortilla and you had to fill in all the all the holes and, and put all the stuffing inside. And so that's something that journalists are trained and they do actively and they're going to have a lot of questions. And if they have questions, you need to respond quickly and uh, efficiently and make sure that you're going to be a resource to them. Also to like talk about how great my team is at this is using each other. You know, having someone else look at something you wrote, it, it can't hurt, uh, so, uh, you know, collaborating with each other. And we've been doing this a lot on Slack where someone will put in uh, a draft they have. And then we all just kind of say, what about this? What about this? What about this? And then, you know, iron sharpens iron. Um, and so, like, you know, if you have something you're going to send, if you have the ability to send it to someone, maybe even someone that you don't work with if you're independent, um, but uh, someone you trust, whose opinion you trust um, and saying, like, hey, is there anything in this that you think might be bad or good or insensitive considering that? the current climate. I think it's a really good thing to do is to really ask as many people as you can before you take the plunge. This is the PR Resolution Podcast. Keep in touch by following me on Twitter at Stella Bales. For more reading on PR, head to blog.coveragebook.com. Don't forget to tune in to the next episode and make sure you subscribe to the series on iTunes now. See you there.